Hey, this is Pastor Ellie, one of the lead pastors of Bold Church. I wanted to say thank you for joining us today. If you want to stay up to date on everything that's happening at Bold Church, want to live stream a service, or find out when our next gathering is, head over to bold.church. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Who is excited for church? Come on. Two of you. Let's, and let me ask again, who is excited for church this morning? I know on a, on a typical Sunday, we don't, uh, a lot of you are new to our, to our church. And let me just let, repeat what my wife said. You are entering an atmosphere of faith. Our tribe, we are a loud church. And so you're going to hear God's word today in a, in a way that may make some of you very uncomfortable. That's okay. You're going to get Jesus. And when you hear me say uncomfortable things, when you clench your booty, you can welcome. Thank you for a, a gym workout and Christianity at the same time. But we're going to do something very unique today, which we've never done. It's called Christian gymnastics. We're going to do baby dedications, baptisms, and communion in this service. It's crazy. Some of you are going to hear the, the word of God. You're going to hear the gospel for the first time. Some of you are going to see it for the first time, and everyone's going to be changed. Amen? Amen. I got I to gotta ask for a favor before we begin. I got I to read a lot of text today. Is that okay? Yeah. Even if you don't have your hand up, I'm going there. <laughs> Let me read with you Colossians chapter 2. If you're new to church and did not bring your Bible, don't worry. We came prepared for your unpreparedness. Don't worry. <laughs> Colossians 2 chapter 4. When you see it, someone shout Amen. Yeah, there you go, there you go. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. That's what TikTok is, by the way. Crazy arguments. For although I am absent in the body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him. Why is he saying that? Because people were walking away rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving don't you want to be part of a church that's abounding in gratefulness anyone grateful for jesus this morning come on see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to christ for in him the full the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him, who is head of all in authority. In him also you are circumcised. If you want to join our church, we got to circumcise you. <laughs> Step two of growth track. <laughs> but listen, it's a circumcision made without hands. You can unclench your booty for a second. <laughs> by putting off the body of the flesh, by circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism. Someone say baptism. In which you were raised with him through faith in the power of working of God, who raised him from the dead. The tomb is empty and there's news to tell. Come on. And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Come on, that's the good news of Jesus. That I, You may be perfect, but I, I'm far from it. 
And I needed a lot of forgiveness. And I'm grateful for a God who offers it freely to anyone who would ask. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame like the Niners did to the Cowboys a couple weeks ago. Come on. That's what this victory looked like. By triumphing over them in him. I want to preach to you from the words of Paul. Two things that will change and build your faith. The title of my sermon is Two Sacraments. We're talking about communion and we're talking about baptism. And praying that God would open up your eyes that these are not just metaphors. You're not just having a lunchable at church. There's a spiritual component to these things that God designed to tether you to him. So let's pray because God wants to do something crazy. Nine of you go in public with your faith. And as a team, we've been believing that this room is full of unchurched people. Listen, seven of the eight families that started this church six years ago, we got saved in our 20s. We know exactly what it's like to walk into a room like this, dark, nervous. Are they going to ask me to pray? Yes, in front of everyone. We understand the objections. And at the same time, we, this is a spiritual environment where we can talk about God all day long. But God is not a person to be studied. He's a person to be experienced. And some of you are going to encounter him this morning. This is not a spiritual TED talk. I'm just setting up a date with, between you and your maker. So let's pray that he will do what only he can do. God, thank you so much, Lord, for your word. God, we love you. We're so thankful for your presence today. God, as we just take a moment to breathe, to rest and be still before you. God, would your peace fall in this room like a blanket, your peace that surpasses all understanding. God, we thank you, God. May your peace and your presence fill us, change us, and transform us. God, even now we're just being washed by your word, being transformed in the image of Christ. God, we, we may have walked in one way, God, but we're going to walk out another. We love you, Lord Jesus. We praise you. And if you believe that, everybody said? Amen. Everybody said? Amen. Can we get up for Jesus real quick? I want to begin with a question. How many of you would honestly say that the, what we consume... The shows that we watch, the movies that we digest, they're, they're, they're kind of shallow. They're thin. Two of you. Awesome. The rest of you are reading Love and War and these deep things. In my house, we watch 90 Day Fiance. Come on. Or my favorite, Love is Blind, where you fall in love with someone through a wall, and then you get upset when they didn't look the way you wanted them to look. And you thought the whole time we weren't shallow. Of course we are. Come on. So the, the, the average American spends 23% of their day on social media. The average American spends, listen, uh, they look at their phone 350 times in one day. Which means some of you are like cray-cray. Because I'm, I'm in that 200 range. That means some of you are in the 700 range. And somehow in the middle, we, we arrived at 350. God bless you for your nine hours a day on your phone, changing everyone's average. And what's crazy is that one-third of us will consume news on TikTok. And TikTok's not a news station, by the way. Which is why this book that just came out 
called awe, the, the wonder, the science of everyday wonder and how it can transform your life. The, the author is this professor, and he, he claims that so much of what we consume, so much of what we're involved in and doing on a day-to-day basis, the way that we live, the way that we work, the, the, the social media that we digest every day is so shallow. It's actually making our souls smaller and smaller. And the things that we're pursuing, the things that we're running so hard after that we think are going to fill us are actually leaving us more empty than before. And he talks about this study that they did over, not just in America, but across multiple countries, across multiple cultures and ethnicities, different socioeconomic realities, and they found what were called the eight wonders of human life. There are the seven wonders of the world, like the Taj Mahal, the Great Wall of China, and the pyramids. These are the eight wonders of life. And what is so fascinating about this book, this man who's not a believer, that means he's probably into crystals and essential oils like some of you in this room. But he says that there are things that add meaning to life. That when you get these things, and all of them on the list are free, by the way, that when you get them, you never forget them. They add depth, and they add meaning to life. And they're the things that when you're at the end of your life, you remember. And none of them have to do with money, personal achievement, your IG fame, and the six-pack that you killed yourself for. Some of them, two of the eight actually speak to the Christian community. One of them being what's called collective everescence. Whenever you have a a crazy professor who's got to use words that no one understands, let me translate. It means community. He says that when you are pursuing life, whether you achieve massive success, if you do it alone, it's unsatisfying. That when you get to the top of the mountain with your RSUs and your home and your Tesla and you're by yourself, it's completely unsatisfying. The other thing that he said that was so fascinating, he says, and I quote, is when groups of people stand together and sing. That's crazy, right? He's not upset talking about a, a, a worship experience. He's talking about when you're at a concert, like some of you are reggaeton or some of you are Taylor Swift, and you pull out your lighter or your cell phone, and there's this moment where the band stops playing, and 50,000 people begin to sing. And it's almost like a worship experience. And you, you are wired to long for those moments. It's crazy. As a pastor, we offer those things every week for free. (laughs) We had to, like, bend your arm to go to community. And most weeks, not this week, 90% of this room, let me just call everybody out, 90% of this room is empty when the worship team is singing. We're offering you substance to make life meaningful, and you don't even want it. Talk about it. I'm trying. Which is why Andrew Sullivan in his Manifesto for Silence wrote these words. And he's a Christian, by the way. There are books to read, landscapes to be walked, friends to be with, life to be fully lived. This new epidemic of distraction is our civilization's specific weakness. And its threat is not so much to our minds, even as they shapeshift under the pressure. The threat is to our souls. At this rate, if the noise doesn't relent, we might even forget we have any. The call to holy, what he's saying is that every generation, every generation has a distraction that will pull them away from the things of God. For our generation, it's the cell phone, the previous generation, I I don't know, I don't know what dinosaurs struggled with in those days. (laughs) 
But the previous generation had a different struggle. And the call the holy has been the antidote to the individual and collective drift. There's a dream that God wants to give you and an American dream that is being sold to you will satisfy you. That's why Steve Jobs, when he's on his deathbed, the most successful entrepreneur in this valley, said his greatest regret is that he built this massive company and his kids didn't even know who he was. There is a way that seems right in a man's eyes, but in the end will lead to destruction. And this is not the first time that the people of God, especially here in America, are pursuing a dream that God never gave them. There's a 20-year-old prophet by the name of Jeremiah, 20 years old. He just learned how to tie his shoes. His mom still does his laundry, makes his bed, like every 20-year-old in this room. I know. I know the truth. My mom did it until I was 25. I'm not going to complain for a second. But God raised this 20-year-old to call out a nation that you used to walk with me. I set you free from those addictions. And now the only thing you're concerned about is a bigger house, a bigger car, a.k.a. a bigger Tesla, and you've forgotten the God that you used to walk with. And you think those things are going to satisfy you. And he actually says you drink from cisterns that don't satisfy. He's saying you're drinking toilet water. And I want to give you living water. And watch what he says to the prophet Jeremiah to tell the people. Jeremiah chapter 2, the word of the Lord came to me. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth. There was a time where you used to walk together. That the, the biggest thing that you wanted in your life was me. Now that you got what you wanted, you don't even come anymore to talk. And then he says, as a, how as a bride you love me and follow me through the wilderness, through a land not shown. And show of hands, is anyone willing to just remove their mask for a moment and say, man, there was a season in my life where I used to walk with God and I stopped and I've come back. I'll, be, I'll raise my hand. I got no sh- Anybody grateful for God who takes us back? Anyone grateful for God who takes us back? And then in four chapters later, watch what God says to those people who very much like Americans were chasing something that we think will satisfy and will not. God says this. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Someone say ancient paths. There are things we got to do that we think are archaic or old. That's, that's, that's so old school. I don't want to do that. God saying those things will bring new life to you. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. There are many people don't understand the history of America. There are two great awakenings in American history. The first great awakening and the second great awakening. And each time there was this massive move of God, 40% of America became Christian. That, That it was culturally normal to go to church and believe in God at such high numbers. That's why it's called the Bible Belt in the South. That it, it didn't just happen once, it happened twice. And each time that it happened, there was this move where the darkness of America was overcome by the Spirit of God. And I want to remind you, we are in one of those moments again. That the largest religious group in America right now are called the nuns. They have no religion. They have no belief in God. And yet, this trend, which has been developing for easily 30 years, is correlated with another trend, the rise of depression and loneliness. We are the loneliest, most depressed generation in American history. 
And I think we're ripe for a third great awakening. And there is a way that America wants us to live that's making our souls smaller and smaller, which is why John Mark Comer says these words. Psychologists tell us anxiety is often the canary in the coal mine. Our soul's way of telling us something is deeply wrong and we need to fix it fast. Anxiety has become the identifier of a generation living on the edge of constant frustration, numbing isolation and fatigue. Hurry is a form of violence against the soul. There's probably one question that I did not expect to be asked as often as I have since coming back to church in COVID. Some of you maybe are new to the Bay Area. The Bay Area is crazy. Feels like we're in another country. When I go to Texas, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what America's like. <laughs> For 60 weeks, you couldn't do church here. And when we came back as a community, it was awkward. People were like high five from like half the room because they didn't want to get sick. I understand. But we had to relearn how to do community and faith and church again. And the question I get asked most often is this Pastor Ali, how come I don't feel the presence of God anymore? Because you have been discipled in a way of life that is contrary to the word of God. Most Americans, they do life at the speed. I don't have time to pray. I, gotta, I don't even have time to read books. I just got to listen to a book. Honey, we're going to school. Pray as you're driving 80 miles an hour on the highway. Tell your kids to relax as you're running through red lights. Man, you're yelling at them to be calm when you haven't modeled that in years. And maybe it's, it's potential because God is walking slower than you. That he's been there the whole time, but you're walking ahead of him. And he wants to do life with you, but you don't want to do life with him. And there's this verse in Isaiah, Isaiah 40, verse 31. It says, but they who wait, someone say wait. That Hebrew word has so much power in it because it's not the word you think it means. I have this rope up here. If I can untie it, I should have done this before. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall be mounted up with wings like eagles. He is talking about your soul, by the way. He's not going to tell you, he's not gonna say, you're going to become an avenger if you become a Christian. He's not talking about that. <laughs> they shall mount up with wings. When life beats you down, there's a way of doing life with God that will raise you up. <laughs> Maybe America will suck your soul out of you, but God will revive it again. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And I want to show you the, the Hebrew word for the word wait. It's on your next slide. It means to buy. I can't even pronounce that word. It's so crazy. Quava. And it means to bind together like a cord. And often if you have a rope, it's just one string. Or a string is just one thread. But a rope is three strings intertwined. And this word it literally means to bind. God wants to be bound to you. If I can somehow show you on this table, imagine this is God's leg and this is my leg. He wants our legs to be intertwined so that when, listen, it's not that I, he's following me, it's that I'm following him. So that when he's walking, I'm walking. And when he's pausing, I'm pausing. If I can quote the great theologian Ludacris, when I move, you move just like that. If you know that song more than the Bible, you're at the right church. <laughs> and 
there's a way that God wants us to be tethered to him that will make your soul bigger and bigger. Psalm 119 says this. Remember your word to your servant, for you have given me hope. My comfort in my suffering is this. Your presence, your promise preserves my life. The arrogant mock me unmercifully, but I do not return from your law. I remember, Lord, your ancient laws, and I find comfort in them. Indignation grips me because of the wicked who have forsaken your law. Watch this part. Your decrees are the theme of my song. As a little kid growing up, my favorite movie of life was Rocky. And the theme song, I the Tiger. Anyone love that? Anyone work out to that song? I'm, I'm 40 and I still work out to that song. <laughs> David sang. Others may have that theme song be their theme song. God, your, your word. How do we get that? How do we live a life where we're declaring, God, your word is the theme song to my life. We're, we're so tethered to God that when he moves, we move just like that. In the night, Lord, I remember your name, that I might keep your law. This has been my practice. I obey your precepts. How do we do this? This is the power I want to submit to you today is available through baptism and communion. It's not the right song according to the worship team, although they may be upset with people for saying that. It's not Javi playing the keys back there, making the service a little bit emotional. It's not the bass that comes out of the subwoofers that brings the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's not the activity on the dream team, even though I love the dream team. Thank you for serving. All those things are good. But there's something spiritual happens when you slow your soul down and you tether it with God. Let me give you this definition of what a sacrament means, because some of you don't understand. I want us to be all on the same page. It is this. Sacrament is from the Latin word sacramentum, meaning a holy rite, R-I-T-E. In general and in particular, a soldier's sacred oath of allegiance. You need to understand the word sacrament is not found in the scriptures. But in the first century, when the, 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 the authors of the Bible were writing these words, and the words that they used were baptism and communion. And I'll explain those words in a moment. But often in the first century, there was this oath, this right, like a team motto that countries would have. And the soldiers would say, I'm with you, king. And there would be this, these wars that they'd go out, and they, they would have these chants to hype up the army before they would go off to war and fight. And the Christians took that idea we have sacraments too. Even though that word isn't used in the scriptures, we have a way of declaring, I belong to a king. And those things are called baptism and communion. And yes, as my I tell my five-year-old, you are a soldier in the Lord's army. <laughs> J.I. Packer says this, when it comes to a Protestant understanding, I know we got some Catholics up in here, some Lutherans, and everyone in between. When it comes to a Protestant understanding of both communion and baptisms, these things are called sacraments in the Western church, mysteries in the Eastern Orthodox church, and ordinances by some Protestants who see the other two words as tainted or unhelpful associations. Biblically speaking, we see the words of communion and baptism communicated in Greek and Hebrew. So the term sacrament is simply language that helps us explain what they are in relationship to the believer. Nothing more, nothing less. 
Although the term sacrament works to bring a holy and sacred connotation to the two, both of these beautiful and essential truths are found in Scripture and necessary to life. What is he saying? That when you take communion, you're shouting, I belong to King Jesus. That's all it's saying. It's a right of a soldier to a king. That's why J.F. Packer says these words. As the preaching of God's word makes the gospel audible. Someone say audible. So the sacraments makes it visible. So when I preach, you hear it. But when you take communion, you feel it. Your senses are involved. And that's why for probably a decade before I became a pastor, I would study God's word long before I ever got married. As long, even though I love my wife and she's super godly, there were moments before I was, before I was married where I would study God's word before coming to church. And there were a few times, maybe once or twice during the year, where I would study the exact text that the pastor was preaching. And I'd, I'd study it, and then I'd come to church, and he would preach it totally different. So I, I was like, man, how did he see that? And my faith grew not just in personal study, but in community as well. And I, I love online church. I'm, I'm watching you online. I know you're pausing, pausing and going to the bathroom, but there is something that happens in this room. That the, the, the presence of God, it can't go through Netflix. There is something that you can study God's word every day, but when you come to church, he brings something in community he does not do alone. And the same is true of communion in baptism. That there are times when we baptize people, and I'm like, man, is it me or are we all crying? Or is there construction in the room? My favorite story is there was this family that came to our church, and their marriage was on the rocks, and when they came, their daughter was three. And about Two or three months ago, the three-year-old became a nine-year-old, Mila. And I, I had the honor of baptizing this little kid who came to our church who was not saying, this is what my parents want. She was saying, this is what I want. And she chose Jesus for herself. And to see this little nine-year-old come out of the water with a smile on her face, I wasn't crying, you were crying. That's why J.R. Packer says this. Sacraments strengthen faith by correlating Christian beliefs with the testimony of our senses. It's one thing to believe theologically that I've been buried and raised with Christ. It's another thing to feel it in my senses. That's what God wants to do. He wants to tether you to him. And you won't get that tethering online. You won't get that tethering just coming to services. You do it through these sacraments. That's why Edmund Clowney says this, the Lord's Supper is not self-served frozen TV dinner enjoyed alone before television screen. Baptism is not celebrated in the privacy of one's bath or shower. Western culture has made religion a private matter, tolerating Christian faith that does not go public or behave in certain ways. The sacraments, someone say sacraments, however, requires to confess Christ's name before others, even in hostile societies where we risk persecution. There are countries right now, most of you, let's just be honest, most of us are afraid to share our faith with our coworkers because we don't want to be, we want to be liked. In most of the world, when you go public with your faith, you lose your job. Not a like. Not an invitation to coffee. That's why I think there's this shallowness that we don't realize it's in our culture and it's invading our church. There's a depth that we don't, we lack. If I can quote the great theologian, just, let's, let's bring Holy back. 
Yeah. Because Christians don't know how to act. I, th- I just think in song. I, forgive me. Number one. Next slide. Let's talk about communion. Someone say communion. I, I know we're a church that reaches a lot of new people to faith. Welcome. God bless you for coming. You've probably never been to church like this before. We'd love to see you again. But let me explain what communion means. It is a rite that authenticates or expresses faith and fellowship with Christ. Let's go a little bit nerdy and read the Westminster Confession of Faith around the Lord's Supper. Our Lord Jesus, in the night wherein he was betrayed, instituted the sacrament of his body and blood called the Lord's Supper to be observed in his church unto the end of the world. For the perpetual remembrance of the sacrifice of himself in his death. That's what you need to know. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with the living God. He didn't come to give us a book. He came to die for us. The sealing of all benefits thereof unto true believers. Their spiritual nourishment. There's nourishment that happens when I take this. And growth in him. Their further engagement in and to all duties which they owe unto him. And to be a bond and pledge of their communion with him and with each other as members of his mystical body. Now, I need to explain something. For the first thousand years of Christianity, when you went to a church, the center of the altar, the stage, was not the pulpit. Sorry to all the preaching pastors in the room. It was not where the worship leaders stood. Sorry, Ethan and the worship team. The center stage of every church for the first thousand years of Christianity was the communion table. That the primary thing that the church did when they gathered is every religion would sing. Every religion would pray. Every religion would gather around a book that they considered to be holy and from God. But there was one thing that Christians did that made them different from every other faith expression. They would drink wine and eat bread to their God because his body, which is what the bread represented, was representative of his body being broken for them and his blood being shed for them. Now, before you say, I want that, the first 300 years, the church was house churches. So you had to sit on a couch next to the same person every day. Some of you, you want to know everyone in the room, you would have hated the early church. And as the church movement began to grow, they didn't have a 501c3. They didn't have buildings. They didn't have Bible colleges. It was the fastest movement in human history. You can try to crush the church. God won't let it. When Jesus says, I will build my church, it's the only thing for 2,000 years that has not crashed civilizations have come kingdoms and rulers have come and gone the church will never die and paul knowing that the church is growing he wrote words on how to administer and clarify what this powerful thing called communion was first corinthians 11 verse 21 it says for some of you he's talking about in the corporate setting Hurry to eat your, meat, your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some of you go hungry while others of you get drunk. So now you got to understand, before the gluten-free people ruin church for all of us, 
We actually have real bread. I'm not bitter at all, by the way. And then before people complained, we actually had real wine during communion. Now, unless this sits on a counter for like five years, this is grape juice that may ferment and become wine. But right now, it's, it's grape juice and a gluten-free wafer for those of you that have eighth-place trophies. <laughs> Communion, though, reminds us of his broken body and blood shed for the remissions of sins. Does anyone remember that? Communion tells us the good gift that Jesus is to us. Communion reminds us of how much we need to be forgiven of. That we are so sinful, God needed to die. But we're so loved, he was willing. Communion carries with it significant imagery that this is what it costs to redeem me. God didn't buy me with crypto and silver and gold. He bought me with his blood. That's why Jesus was not talking about a metaphor in John chapter 6 when he said this. Truly, truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. Let me just pause. You don't need to take communion to go to heaven. You take it because you believe you're going. Jesus says, I am the bread of life, which means none of you who have gluten are going there. Because he's bread. Not fake bread. He's the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. Let me explain. For some of you who are new to church, the Israelites were slaves for 400 years. And they couldn't DoorDash food in the wilderness. So God fed them. And as a metaphor saying, in the same way that you ate the bread that I gave you to live, if you eat from me, you'll, never, you'll live forever spiritually. That's the parallel. But there is bread, not physical bread, spiritual bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone, anyone in here who wants to do life with God, all you need is faith that he loves you. But there is something that separates from you in him, and that's sin. And the good news is he's already taken care of it by dying on a cross for you. That anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Again, he's talking about a spiritual metaphor. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? At this point, I don't have time to read it. Most of his disciples left him. And I wonder, does the teaching of Jesus offend you? That he is radically inclusive. Everyone is invited. But he's also radically exclusive. There is no way to God except through him. And then if Jesus finishes. Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend? He's talking about after the resurrection. He's going to be on earth for 40 days and he goes up. He's like, if you're confused now, you're going to be really confused then. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of life and spirit. What is Jesus trying to tell us? That communion 
gives us the assurance of the saving power of life and death, and gives us spiritual renewal in Him. And I just need to clarify one thing so that we're all on the same page. There is a difference between the way Catholics take communion and Christians take communion. I'm not calling anybody out. I'm just speaking of this reality. Catholics believe in what's called transubstantiation, which means that when I take communion, this is the literal. It, like, supernaturally converts to the real blood of Jesus. And this wafer becomes the flesh of Christ. Which means we, if that were true, we need to change our name from Bold Church to Bold Buffet. But it's not true. Jesus was not telling us that this becomes his body, literally. But you do it in remembrance of what my body did for you. And he's speaking to us. And often in the church, we get arguments about how often should we take communion? And the reality is the scriptures don't tell us if we should take it weekly, monthly, yearly, daily, three times a day. You know what the scriptures are very clear on? Who should take this? It does not tell us the frequency. So we can debate all day on that. So if we take it today, are we in sin? No. If we don't, are we in sin? No. But the scriptures are clear on who should. And often an effort to be radically inclusive to everyone in our community. We have often not drawn the line. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus, don't take it. And when you walked in this room, we had already prepared a communion cup on your seat. Because when you take it, you're declaring the same way a wedding ring declares, I belong to her. You're taking communion. It's more than a meal. It's not a metaphor. It's a spiritual reality, uh, the right of a soldier. I belong to him. He died for me. So in a moment, if I get everyone to stand, we're going to do something we've never done as a community. I just felt in preparing for the sermon, let's go there. going liturgical today. Some of you grew up in Catholic church. You stand up and sit down every time you go to church. Not today. And I want to say we're going to read a text and as a church take communion together. But before we do, I want to pray. Jesus, would you anoint my words? May your presence be here right now. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 23 says, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, Let me just pause right there and say, Now it's time to take the, the bread in remembrance that Jesus died on a cross, that his body was beaten and broken, and he paid our penalty of sin. Now, this is the part that I've never seen before. If I go to the next slide, watch what happens. After supper, he took the cup. It wasn't immediate. I need you to see that. Often in church, we take the cup, and then we drink the, blood, the, the wine real fast. Theologians will tell us that every Thursday during Jesus' ministry, he fasted. 
that he fasted every Thursday for three years. And this meal, which was his last meal, he was not just having communion, he was breaking his fast. Imagine, you ever go on a day without eating food? And when you finally eat it, there's this weird joy that mac and cheese give you. The simple things of life. That food isn't just something to give you energy for the next thing you want to do. It reminds you of the goodness of God. And these men, you have to see this. They slowed down. They were denying their flesh. And they were tethering their soul to the living God. They weren't taking communion while they were scrolling through TikTok. They were slowing down to be connected to him again. And it says, after supper, he took the cup. Next slide. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you take this drink today in remembrance of his shed blood for you? You don't have to, but if you want to, just extend your hands to God. Close your eyes and pray with me. Thank you, Jesus. God, we receive communion today with soft hearts and open minds. We thank you, God, for the broken body. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. We thank you, Lord, for the shed blood for us, for the forgiveness of our sins. We thank you, God, that as your body was broken and your blood was shed, you defeated death, hell, and the grave for us, God. You're the hero, Jesus. I pray that, God, that every nail that was pounded into your hands, the gospel will be pounded into our hearts. How good we have it with you, Jesus. That you made a way when there was no way. Tether me to you, God, again. Remind me what life is all about. That when I go wayward for the American dream, that you welcome me back with open arms. And the church said, may be seated. One more sacrament. It's on the screen. Baptism. Some of you are new to church. You're like, oh my God, is he starting another sermon? Yes. <laughs> yes. Just so we're all on the same page, let me define baptism. Baptism is the right that authenticates or expresses union with Christ. Let me just read some verses real fast and let it just wash over you. Galatians 3, for all of you who were baptized, someone say baptized, into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free. There is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. It gets even better. Romans chapter 6. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized, someone say baptized, into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too, may we die to our sin and resurrect with Jesus. Amen. 
we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in resurrection like this. We are part of a thin world that has lost its awe and wonder. And there are things that God wants to give you that give life substance. Theologian Edward Clowney says this, that life appears as the life of new birth in the spirit. With Christ, we are buried and we are raised to new life. Let me tell you very clearly, when you get baptized in this church, you're not joining this church. Notice that fear, you're joining heaven. You, you don't take baptism after you become a member. You t- do baptisms because you are one. Baptism, though, is vital to your journey of following Jesus. If you want to be tethered, you got to obey this command. So if you are a follower of Jesus in this room and you have not yet been baptized, it's time to get baptized. And when I say get baptized, I'm talking today. We got bags somewhere where we have already prepared for some of you who came unprepared. We're coming. We're coming. I'm going to read one more text. I preached on this text last week on a very difficult sermon. And I'm praying the same story speaks to you. For some of you that are on the edge, we have been preparing all week, not just for the nine. I just feel it in my spirit. There are some of you, you're nervous. You want to go public with your faith. You just need to be kicked in the back and thrown in the water. And we're going to do that today. (laughs) Acts 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go to the south road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. Let me explain first century culture. If you were a king and you had a lot of a huge harem, you could not trust any dude to watch over those girls. So you take a normal dude and you'd cut a lot off so that he could protect your harem. That's what this guy is. And no, listen, no one chose to be a eunuch. It was forced on you. And yet this guy who's had so much trauma in his life, he's in Jerusalem for some reason. He's he's part of the wealthiest country in the world at that time. This guy has everything. And he recognizes, I have nothing. There's a thinness to all this wealth in Egypt. An important official in charge of all, this guy oversees all the money. You ever see Scrooge McDuck where he jumps into his tower and swims in the gold? That's this dude right here. Next slide. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading, I can't even read without getting emotional, the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran to the chariot, and he heard this man who had everything, all the money in the world, and he had nothing. 
reading Isaiah the prophet. And Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And the man said, how can I? Unless someone explains it to me. This man is in Jerusalem, and we don't know why. This man is wanting to worship God, wanting, is there more to life than this? And we don't know why. And he's reading the Bible wondering, if God is real, will he speak to me? And we don't know why. And watch what happens. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture that eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. I've been there when they've killed sheep. The animal doesn't move because it knows death is coming. And that's what's saying what happened to Jesus. He, no one took his life. He willingly gave it. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, please tell me, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Anybody thankful for the good news of Jesus? And this is the best part of the story. This guy's never been to church before in his life. This guy's never been to a confirmation class. He's never been to growth track. Never went to Rooted. Never gave, never served on the dream team. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. Someone say some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? He just wants to be in a relationship with God. Can I, do I deserve it? And Peter says, and he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. There was no waiting. He didn't have to wait until he invited all of his friends. He didn't have to wait until he had the right fit and fresh outfit. There was no class, no giving, no serving. As long as you believe, you are ready to be baptized. So I end with this question. What would keep you from being baptized today? Every eye closed, every head bowed. First and foremost, if there's anyone here today that were to ask you, how is your relationship with God? And if you couldn't answer that question with 100% certainty, let me tell you the good news of the gospel. God sent his son, Jesus, who left heaven as God and became a human. Jesus lived a sinless and perfect life. And then he died the death that you and I should have died. And he offers forgiveness of sin because he was sinless. And his sinless death pays for your sacrifice for your sin. But you have to receive this gift by faith. And this God that wants relationship with you extends the offer of salvation 
forgiveness of sin to anyone who would believe. It is radically inclusive. At the same time, it's exclusive. You can't have salvation apart from Jesus. You can't know the Father apart from Jesus. You can't go to heaven apart from Jesus. And with every eye closed and every head bowed, if that's you today, and you want to say yes to Jesus and following him, I want to pray with you. I want to count to three. I want you to shoot your hand up if you want to pray that prayer for the very first time. One. Two. You're not saying yes to me or this church. You're saying yes to the King of Kings. His name is Jesus. Two. Three. If that's you this morning, I need you to shoot your hand up. Every eye closed, every head bowed. I see your hand over there. I see your hand over here. See your hand back there. See your hand on the side. I want everyone to say this out loud. Thank you, Jesus, for leaving heaven for me, for dying on a cross for my sin. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving me through the cross, through the cross of your resurrection. Through your resurrection and ascension, I am forgiven and set free. I'm saved by grace. I didn't earn it, but I placed my faith in you. I turned from my sin, and I want to follow you, God, all the days of my life. God, I want to tether myself to you. I want to be connected to you, God. I want to do life with you. And everybody said, Hey, thank you again for listening to today's message. If you found today's sermon encouraging, inspiring, would you consider subscribing to this podcast? That way you won't miss the next word that's coming. See you next time.